Okay, in that spirit of prayer, I am really excited to get started, but I have probably more of a teaching than a preaching in me. But who knows? You know, Jesus shows up and that could all change. We will just go with his flow, so to speak. But what I would like to do is I would like to pray for you. And I would pr like to pray for your hearts to be open to what the Holy Spirit is, is saying. I will tell you that when you stand up here, you can feel a lot of pressure, not everybody but me, to speak the very words of God and all of those things that Scripture it, uh, uh, tells us as teachers. But I just want to let you know, I take that responsibility on, but I am so blessed to do so because when I stand here in faith, like saying, welcome Holy Spirit, you know, he shows up and says the words. And then uh, what I would like to pray for you is that your hearts are open to receive those words and that you'll participate with me in them, in this process of, of speaking and learning today. So can I pray for you right now? And welcome online. I'm praying for you also in your homes. Jesus, we welcome you here today with your revelation through the word. I pray for the listeners of this message, and I pray that your spirit would be upon them, that your word would speak, that they would hear not only what I'm speaking, but that they would hear the very words of God spoken specifically into their lives today. Jesus, open up your word and bring your revelation to us. This is something I cannot do. We, we receive your miracles today of teaching, edification, and revelation in Jesus name amen so will you go on this journey with me and listen for the Holy Spirit if so say I will okay then we are all together I'm really excited to do this my style usually I'm finding as I prepare a message is to give you the whole elephant I am not like a mind through the canyons to find the one little diamond of a verse. I see breadth and depth and grandeur in the scriptures. And so today, I hope you brought your spiritual appetite because in 2 Peter, I'd like to give you 2 Peter on a platter. And I hope that 2 Peter and this part of scripture will nourish you in your spirit, that you will feel nourished by the words of God. All right, so here we go, whole platter of Second Peter. So we're going to do a little bit of review. I've loved the preachers, speakers, and teachers throughout this series because every week we have been taking First or Second Peter, and we've been saying, now, who wrote this book, and what was the setting, and who, was the, who were they talking to, and why are they talking to? This is really important work for us to do when we're studying the scriptures, that we're not just lifting out a verse or a phrase and making random applications, but that we're really seeing the heart and the intent of the verse. But I was thinking as I was studying this, you know what? Almost every teacher on the weeks have been reviewing and reviewing and reviewing these things. So I thought maybe we'd play like a little round of Jeopardy or something where I would like kind of ask the questions and then I'll just give you a time of silence. Hey, if you're that person and you want to yell it out, you just go right ahead. But you just, I'll, I'll pause and you see how many of these you can remember from past weeks. That, And if you are at home, you can play Jeopardy because nobody can hear you. You can yell at the TV and see if you're right. So first and second Peter, who was the author? Okay, if, if you're thinking Peter, you're right. You're right. So that was just kind of like our introductory warm-up question. Okay, Peter was the author. Here's a little New Testament fun fact. 
and this is part of the whole enchilada and everything. I'm like, why are these books named? Most of them are named for their authors, except for the books that Paul wrote, Acts, Revelation, Hebrews, we don't know. Uh, the author of, of Hebrews, Revelation, different type of book, Acts, historical book. But the Paul, it would be like first Paul, second Paul, third Paul, 18th Paul, right? So all the Pauline epistles are named after who he's writing to. I learned that as an adult, and I went, well, that kind of helps. And they're kind of arranged in groupings from shortest to longest, depending on the author or who they're written to. If you like that, you just stick that in your back pocket and go with it and make help you. Like, oh, I know this. Paul wrote this book, so he probably wrote the one after it. So there you go. Next question. Harder. Who is he writing to? Multiple choice. Unbelievers or believers? Mostly believers. Jews or Gentiles? Mostly Gentiles, if you're, if you're like, you're clicking, right? I know you're right. And then was this the local church of Peter's or was this the scattered church? Scattered church, that's right. See, you know, if you're wrong, I don't know. I'm just complimenting you on your good effort. Uh, okay, so now these readers of the book of First and Second Peter, what were they experiencing, the people who got this letter? Multiple choice. Peace, persecution, confusion, persecution. We're going with persecution. That's right. And then what year was it when this was written-ish? 67 AD. So after Jesus passed, but Peter is still um, died and rose again, and, but Peter's still on the planet. Um, who was in governmental control of this church? Who was the government, reigning government? Rome. And where was Peter when he was writing this? Probably in Rome on death row waiting to be martyred. So when we look at Peter's situation of knowing that he's going to be martyred very soon, and the church of persecution, it really amps up the intensity. And sometimes we as believers, we read our Bible, and we don't realize the intensity of the situation of the author and of the readers and what they're going through. But, you know, we have intensity in our own lives. So when we read this in times of our own intensity and we identify with their intensity and what's going on, it brings a lot more weight to what is written. So there's a lot of intensity here. So now let's say what type of book is this? Now, I'm not expecting you to remember this one. Kiara said it last week. We're just talking about Second Peter. And this is a cross between an epistle, a letter. It's structured a lot like that. But it is also an old a, a testament. The Jewish people had these things called testaments. When you knew you were going to die as a Jewish man, you would gather your children and you would give them your last words, tell them the most important things. Kira went over this last week as well. And so here is Peter, a spiritual father, and he's sending out what is very much his last testament. These are the things you need to know. You have to hear these things from me because I am going to die soon. And there is this intensity in their growth in this persecuted church. So he is writing this last testament in a very tender way as a father would for his family. So we call ourselves a family on mission. 
Well, this is the family on mission as well. And do you realize that our body of Christ is not only connected to all the other universal bodies here, but we are connected to this one as well. That all of the believers in Christ have been being built by Jesus over generations, and we are the next the next level, not in superiority, in, in chronology of the church that Jesus is building. So here we go. I know, big intro. Um, but when we study, we're going to immerse ourselves into their culture, their meaning, and find out what was the meaning to them. And then we're going to lift out the eternal principles. What is valuable and similar and applicable to us in our situation. So we're going to try and do that. I'm going to try real hard to stay immersed in their story for a good bit so that we're just listening to their story. And then we're going to do some lifting from time to time here and there. So here we go. Last week we heard kind of a familiar passage for those of us in the church um, of, G of Peter saying, These, this is my teaching to you. Make every effort to add to your faith. You've given, been given everything you need for a life of godliness. You have been given everything you need. Now make every effort to add to your faith. Goodness, self-control, perseverance, brotherly kindness, love. Might have missed one, but, but those things. For if you have them in increasing measure, then you will be successful and effective. But if you forget... He says, if you forget, then you've forgotten that you've been forgiven of your sins. So the first piece, and Kiara showed a little acorn, you've been given a seed, everything you need for a life of godliness. You've been given everything. But if you, if that seed does not grow and produce fruit, which is a changed life and attitudes and actions, it's both passive. We've received everything we, we have been given from God, but it's also active. We nurture those things into growth in our lives. So it's a passive, active thing. If you don't have that growth happening in your life, if you don't have that process engaged in your life, then you've forgotten that your sins are forgiven. So go back to the gospel, that Jesus has forgiven your sins. He's given you everything for a life of godliness. So then we're going to kind of pivot. This, this section we're going to read today is a pivot between, this is my teaching to you, persecuted church, my children, my last word to you. This is what I say to you as Peter the Apostle. This is what I want you to know. And this, and the pivot is, and this is what all the false teachers are saying to you. So as we look into Peter's readers and what they're hearing in their culture, we say, that they are very much in a Greco-Roman culture. So Rome is kind of, I was thinking of it this way, Rome is kind of the governing body or the political body, I would say, equating to like Washington. Greco or Greek culture was very much um, kind of the culture, the invisible culture that they lived in and beliefs that they, that they absorbed, kind of like our Hollywood and media. So it was, uh, it was their... Roman Greco world political cultural uh, combination that was just kind of the message that was being portrayed. And many of those messages were anti uh, Christian, anti Jesus Christ, against what Peter was saying, and hostily 
and violently, they were pointing toward Christianity and saying uh, things that were not true. So Peter's going to address that in the rest. So, you know, the second Peter book is really kind of neglected in our church teachings a lot because it is, it's a little intense and it's a little negative, Peter. It's a little intense and it's a little negative. But I was thinking, you know, as, as our culture is ramping up around here, we've got some intensity over the last year that we've never experienced before. And all of a sudden, an intense word like Second Peter from an apostle of Jesus Christ seems to scratch us right where we itch. We say, bring on the intensity because we're feeling it. We're feeling it in our own culture. So, There are two main false teachings in this political and cultural world that these readers are hearing. Two main lies. So when you read this book, Peter is specifically addressing these two heresies. One of them is a Hellenistic cultural mindset. If it feels good, do it. Your mind and your spirit are separated from your body and your passions and your lust. So it doesn't really matter if what you do matches with what your spiritual beliefs are. So there was a lot of permission to do whatever your body desired to do. There was no connection there. Well, we know Peter was refuting that in his teaching. He said, no, you've been given everything you need for a life of godliness, and your spirit should inform your body and their desires. So Peter is kind of dismantling that argument that these readers would have heard in that day. And then the other thing was, Jesus is not coming back. That was one of the other heresies. You have heard that Jesus is coming. Well, where is he? In fact, Jesus even said in his teaching time that, like, the generation won't pass away before you see these things. What they may not know but may be sensing and feeling is that 70 A.D. is right around the corner. 70 A.D. is uh, the destruction of the temple, dispersion, mass murder, killing of Christians, Jews, a dispersion of all of those people. It's a huge mark in history, and they are right on the precipice of this uh, massive persecution of the church. So these lies given to the church are going to affect their strength and their foundation if they're believed. So Peter is saying, I want to tell you these things. And now that's the end of my introduction. So we can read the passage together. But are you feeling? It's the setup because we're going to read this long passage. This was given to Christine Skull because there's just such three nice, tidy paragraphs with three points. And I just love that. So, so we're going to go from remember to the eyewitness to the word. And we're just going to be all over those things today. Remember and eyewitness and word. Okay? So let me read this passage to you because it's right after his teaching. And it's the pivot point, And it's basically Peter uh, introducing all of his contradiction to the false teachers. Here we go. Second Peter 1, verses 12 and I will tag on to one because that's the introduction of the pivot into the next one. But here we go, 12. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of a body. 
because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son who, I'm, who I love and with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We have also heard the prophetic message, something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For the prophecy has never had its origin in human will. But the prophets, through humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Remember, remember, I witness to the glory of God. And the word of the prophets is eternal in God's word. And chapter 2, verse 1 says, but... There were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, swinging, bringing swift destructions on themselves. Okay, so we live in a culture that wants to say, I remember this from another teaching, that we are pursuing living at the corner of happy and healthy. Have you heard that verse? It's a Walgreens thing. We're at the corner of happy and healthy. And we just like listen to that and we go, oh, that is a nice place to live. I want to live at the corner of happy and healthy. That's where I want to be. You know, and, and our threat this year has both been to healthy, hello, pandemic, and happy economic fragility, let's say in our country. So our happiness and security and our health are both being threatened. Walgreens, by the way, has dropped that motto lately, and they're going with another one. But our culture very much wants to pursue the corner of happy and healthy. But I'm going to tell you that the way, the true way, is at the corner of witnessing Jesus and knowing his word. All right? Now, early church, another New Testament fun fact, the early believers in church would have referred the, to themselves as the followers of the way. They weren't called Christians until later, later when they were little, little Christs. They were called little Christs, and they adopted that and called themselves Christians. But at that point in time, they would say, we are followers of the way. We are still, as Christians, followers of the way. And what we're going to go through in these three sections of remembering and witnessing in the word is that we are followers of the way still. And we are still fighting against the heresies that our culture teaches us. So let's read again that first paragraph. 
over here. Because Peter wants them and us, remember what is essential after I'm gone with humility. He says, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and you're firmly established in the truth that you have now. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in a tent of a body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me and I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. Now he was saying, what should we remember? What should we remember? Remember in the previous teaching, what were, what, unless they forgot, what were they trying to remember? If you forgot, you forgot that your sins were forgiven. So he wants to remind them that their sins were for forgiven in the majesty and truth of who Jesus is and that he is coming again and what he said. So he's saying, remember my teaching. This is also nice for me as a parent and someone who repeats myself often. I can just quote this verse. It is good for me to remind you. I know you know these things already. But it's good for me to remind you these things again. So then Peter says, it's good for me to remind you so that you don't forget. And here's my two-step verification process. Here's how you know that what I'm telling you is true. Here is my authentication. I don't know how many times you've been locked out of a website or password when it asks for two-step verification, and we will be emailing you, or would you like us to text you, or would you like us to call you? We need to make sure that it's you before we let you into this website, app, password. I seem to do it about once a week, and it's like, I don't know. It could be this password or that password. I've had to add, you know, an asterisk or an exclamation point to this and, and a capital letter to that. I, I started, you know, in the late 90s with just like a, a lowercase word, and then that was quickly defunct, and then I had to add a number, and then I had to add, so then I just have all of these different passwords, and it depends on how long I've had this account, and I can't remember. So we go through this authentication process, and this is Peter's two-step authentication process. The first paragraph he says is, I have witnessed the glory of Jesus. I have seen it with my own eyes. And the second is, and it is consistent with the word of God that I know, that I have studied. I ha what I have seen and what I know match of Jesus. So Revelation 12, 11 says, and they overcame and conquered him, Satan, because of the word of the Lamb, and the word of their testimony, their revelation, and the reality of who Jesus is. Those two things. It's a two-step authentication process. And even they did not love their life enough and renounce their faith, even when faced with death. Now, this revelation verse could have been written about this church later on. It it postdates this church. So there is some indication that they may have su successfully navigated this persecution when they were faced with death because they knew the truth. It was their foundation, and they got through that persecution. So remember, the true way is found at the corner of witnessing Jesus and knowing his word. Number two, the witness to Jesus, his power and identity revealed. For we did not 
follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. There were two times his baptism and on this Mount of Transfiguration where God audibly spoke over Jesus' affirmation and love. Audibly in front of everybody else. You want to know who this is? This is my son whom I'm pleased with and I love him. To me, the sacrifice of Jesus for me is even sweeter to know that he is the authenticated one from God the Father, that he is the loved one, that he is the dear one of heaven that was sacrificed for me, was not a man. It was not a historical figure. It was not a good teacher. It was the lamb that was slain that was able to take the sin of the world away, that is who Jesus is. So let's read, let's go back to Mark 9, 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John up with him and led them to the high mountain where they were all alone, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there he appeared before them, Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. He was too frightened. That's in the Bible, by the way. And then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud and said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly they looked around and they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus. In case there's any confusion, this is the one. So here is the interesting thing to me. Peter doesn't say, I'm the one you should listen to because Jesus said, I'm the one you should listen to. Peter says, I'm the one you should listen to because I saw God accept Jesus. And what I'm testifying about is Jesus, not myself. I'm not saying listen to me because it's me. I'm saying listen to me because I saw who Jesus was for real, for real. So glory of God is a hard word for me. And I always think of like fame as like glory, the touchdown guy, he gets all the glory and that kind of thing. But true biblical glory is more than fame. It is value. It is worth. It is purpose. It is connection. And I hear Steve often say glory to you, O Lord. And we are saying fame to you, Lord. We want you to be famous. But we're saying you are worth it. You have value. You have purpose in this universe. You have brought purpose. So glory to me is all of those things, the connection with the Father, the significance, the value, the weight, the worth, and the fame. So Peter witnesses Jesus, not I witness Jesus, therefore I'm authentic, but God approves of Jesus, therefore Jesus is authentic. You can believe me. 
So me, lesser encounters. I have also had encounters with Jesus where I have witnessed his glory. I've witnessed his majesty. I've had a revelation of his personhood. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a thing, and I'll tell you a couple of my things, and maybe you've had things like that. If not, we're just going to pray for encounters at the end so that you truly, authentically know the reality of the living God who died for you and loves you, okay? So here's one of my things. I'm feeling like a loser. I'm I'm in school. I'm a mom of young children. It's 11 o'clock at night, not my time of day. I'm going in to buy lunch meat before the next day to pack the lunches to do the thing. I feel like I'm not doing a really good job with the kids, with the life, with the with the school, um, I'm just trying to keep it all together. If you're raising young ones, and there's a lot of them, you know, bill paying, family obligations, activities, etc., homework, early mornings, sleepless nights, all of those things can be stressful. So in that, I was saying, I don't even know why I'm taking these community ministry classes with my degree. I don't even know why I'm doing this. I'm failing. And I walked into Giant Eagle up in Chippewa. And as I'm walking in, okay, I graduated in 1985, so I'm a girl of the 80s, right? So this is how Jesus reveals himself to me. My head is in the cooler, and I'm grabbing for some, you know, American cheese or, you know, ham or, you know, chip chop, whatever it may be. And as I'm leaning under, my head goes under a speaker. And I hear this song. I'll stop the world and melt with you. I'll stop the world. I know. I've seen the difference, and it's, I'll stop. There's nothing you and I won't do. I'll stop the world. I've heard that song before. I didn't start tapping my feet. It was like a lightning bolt went into my soul. And he says, I'm the only one who can sing that song to you, Christine. I'm the only one who can stop the world and melt with you. I'm the only one that can give you the power to do things that you can't do. I'll stop the world. And it's an 80s song. And it's in the middle of my weakness. And it's in the middle of my trial. And it's in in the middle of my struggle. And Jesus came and he revealed himself to me. But just like with Peter, that revelation of mine can be your revelation of Jesus. Because I saw his glory there. So even if you don't have an experience like that where you've felt the presence of Jesus and you've recognized him, who he is, you can take my experience and you can say he's real because I've seen it in Christine. He stopped the world and melted with that girl. Anyway, so then on Sunday, I got to hurry, but I'm having a really good time. Um... I'm, on Sunday, I'm, I'm worshiping and singing this song in my head. Um, okay, I'm walking through the airport in my uniform with my head bu- earbuds on and my phone in my pocket, trying to get my steps before my flight, before my work. So I've got this song on, and I have this person I need to reach out to and say, how are you doing? But I know that the answer to that question would be like, how are you doing? Could be really bad, a whole list of things. And so I'm singing this song, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Um, Those who look on him are radiant. They'll never be afraid. They'll never be afraid. Magnify and bless the Lord with me. And I was just feeling it in the airport. And you know what's great about masks is you can, like, kind of sing, and nobody knows that you're being crazy. 
And so I'm singing this song, magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. And, and it just amps up and amps up. And I'm saying, how are you? How are you today? And I'm thinking, oh, there's so much right and there's so much wrong. And then it was like this just knowingness of this revelation. I wrote down, how are you doing today? I wrote it down later because it happened in like three nanoseconds. How are you doing today? Even when I ask myself or make some assessment, I'm tempted to give a list of good and bad circumstances in my life and how I feel about them, the good, bad, and ugly. Oh, this is pretty good, but that's pretty bad. Oh, this is all right, but this is hard. But I was prompted then to say, but how are you doing today, God of the universe? And I just heard immediately, not words, but just knowing, I can hear him respond, I'm well. I'm seated on the throne with all things under my feet, and I'm only allowing things to happen that will be used for ultimate good, and I'm dispatching angels to fight spiritual battles, and I'm asserting the victory that Jesus gained with his death and resurrection. I'm also healing illness. I'm providing food, shelter, jobs, and resources for billions. I'm sitting quietly, waiting to be called upon. I'm comforting the lonely and those who are grieving with my presence. I'm welcoming thousands into the kingdom daily. I'm working the plan that I set out from the beginning, and I'm holding all things together with my word while I'm bringing them under submission. I hear him say, thanks for asking. How are you doing? And I said, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> My list evaporated. My list evaporated. The list of the person I was caring for evaporated. It was like, oh, he is so going to do it. He is so going to do what he's going to do. You know what I mean? You can have that revelation too because it's true. It's just true. So you can trust the witness of someone when it pairs with the word. If someone tells their story of how they've witnessed the glory of God, the majesty, the ability of him, how he's coming to life, you can take that when it matches with the word. Has someone gotten healed? You can praise him. He's a healer. You can take that as a witness. So remember, the true way is at the corner of witnessing Jesus and knowing his word. So let's flip over and let's talk about Let's talk about this third section. Let's see if I, oh, yeah, yeah. How about that? Out of order. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. Now, the prophetic message to the readers of this letter that Peter wrote would have said, that's the whole Torah, the first books of the Bible, and it's Isaiah and Psalms and probably Proverbs. Those are the things that were taught regularly that they had. So when he says the prophets, he means the whole Old Testament. Um, probably not as much as we have, but that's what they're reflecting on then. He said, you would do well to pay attention to it. So just don't take my revelation, Peter says. Pay attention to the word and the prophecy because this is being fulfilled. As a light shining in the dark place, until the day dawns, he's saying, this is a nod to the second coming. They would say, until the day dawns, until Jesus comes back. And the morning star rises in your heart, even before you have that revelation. It says, before that morning star, Jesus, the revelation of him, rises in your heart, even before you have that revelation, you can trust the word of God. You can trust it. 
you can believe it. You can know it. You don't have to wait for, I'll stop the world and melt with you. You have the word of God. So, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's interpretation, but it has, but it is spoken from God as it was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that that word has been carried along to this room today? The word of Peter, the words that Peter wrote to a specific group of people, the Holy Spirit. Does Peter know we're gathering here today? He doesn't know. He didn't know. He wasn't writing to us. He was writing to them, specific people. Do you realize that our lives are that transportable as well, that our lives can be a testimony and an encouragement, our words spoken can be a testimony and an encouragement to future generations? I'll just throw that in as a gimme. Um. Okay, so I'm not going to tell you about how Jesus revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 33, but he did. So here's Peter saying, you know, God revealed himself to me on this, you know, Mount of Transfiguration, but it was just like he revealed himself to Moses when Moses said, I need to know that you're going with me. I can't lead these people without you. And God says, I will show you my glory and my goodness. He also did it for Isaiah, which they would have had that account too. So here's Peter's account. He's not isolated saying, yeah, I don't know, three birds chirped and that's how I knew God was God. No, he is giving an account of the appearance and glory of Jesus that is reflective and reminiscent of the word of God, of what he has done before. So here's Isaiah saying, I saw him on the throne and the robe, his robe filled the temple. And when he saw the glory of God in that revelation, he said, here am I, send me. His sins were forgiven. He was purified. Here am I, send me. Moses saw God's glory. He says, now I can lead the people and go out because God is with me. God always reveals his glory to you and shares it with you. And the purpose that he has, he gives to you. The king brings the kingdom with him, and now you have a purpose in God's kingdom. He doesn't just reveal himself to you so that you can say, oh, that's good to know. He reveals himself to you. When he comes to you, you're like, I want in on that. I would do anything for that. That tells me who I am. That gives me a place and a purpose. You know you're nodding because if you have felt those feelings, if you have seen the true God, the true Jesus, you know that with it comes acceptance. God says to you, you are my son. You are my daughter whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Why is he well pleased with you? Why is he well pleased with you? Because Jesus has purchased your salvation and died for your sins and cleansed you of all unrighteousness. And Jesus, God sees Jesus when he looks at you. He doesn't see you and say, ah, she's okay. She's up and down. Good days, bad days. I'll take her. I can work with that. He's not a compromising God. He's a holy God. He's a just God. He gave you everything you need for a life of righteousness and purpose and glory. He purchased you with a high price with his son who he's well pleased. You get the farm, kids. 
So remember that the true way is found at the corner of witnessing Jesus and knowing his word. So let's lift out some eternal purposes. You might say to yourself, I have witnessed the glory of God. I have had that revelation. I know who Jesus is, but I'm not really strong in knowing his word. Well, guess what? We're Bible people. We're all about that. We're doing that today. We're exposing his word. We're learning. We're leaning. We're digging. We're finding out. We're measuring. We're weighing things to be true, experiences to be true next to his word. A lot of people come into the kingdom with an experience. How many people did Jesus heal? And then is their, sins, their sins are forgiven and they're healed. They have this experience and they're, and they're not knowing. They learn the word of God. There are many of us who were raised in the church and were pretty well versed in scripture. We could quote stuff to yes. You know, we could say things. And we know it's true. But there's just a two-dimensional hollowness that we have where we just don't really feel the majesty and the presence and the ability of God, and we have not had that revelation. And you know what we do here? We seek encounter. We seek revelation. We honor testimony. Sometimes I come to church. I'm not saying, okay, Jesus, I need a touch of you. I need a piece of you. Sometimes I'm coming here to hear your testimony and your encounter with Jesus. You're overcoming. Your victory is coming by the word of your testimony, and it encourages me. It gives me courage that Jesus is who he is. We know that we are on the mountaintop some days, and we are in the valley other days. We know that. But we're not all necessarily in the mountain the valley on the same days. So you might be laying, walking through the valley of despair, the shadow of the valley of death, and someone right next to you can testify to the reality of who Jesus is. So what do you need today? Do you crave revelation Do you crave knowing the word more? Those are two great things to crave because that is the true way, the corner of witness and the word. So I encourage you with those words. Bless you.